1: Business is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound.
2: You will know the beer that is made by our guest today. You would have seen the cans with Chirley, the mascot, with his big underbite pointy teeth and friendly colours and the fun names that sometimes riff on US politics, but always have a little something interesting going on like the shower beer, with a holder for the wall of the shower is just one example. But it all almost wasn't. Founder Andrew Childs was a lawyer in Wellington and changed career, navigated setbacks and injury and grew and grew his brand and business to today where now Behemoth Brewing Company is running a pledge-me equity crowdfund to build a brewery large enough for demand and a 140-person restaurant with a real nose-to-tail approach. Depending on what day you arrive, you will get where they are up to on the animal, with the restaurant and on-site butchery run by Andrew's national champion butcher wife and co-force in the business, Hannah Miller. To chat the journey, the crowdfund, and beer, a favourite topic, Andrew joins me now thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Hey, so you weren't always a brewer in Auckland. Tell me how it was that you got into law in Wellington, and what got you out of it?
1: Uh, what got me into law is I think I probably just read too many John Grisham books growing up and uh, maybe The Practice, and I like to argue. Um, so that really got me into it. Um, grew up in Miramar in Wellington and went to Vic, Vic Uni um, after Rongatai College. Um, which ironically has uh, parrot dog breweries just down the road from my old high school. That was, definitely wasn't the case when I went to high school. And um, yeah, we really got into it and I probably got about 80% of the way through law school. And, you know, I liked some parts of it and some parts of it I didn't, but I'm stubborn. So I finished up, <laughs> uh, became a barrister and solicitor of the High Court of New Zealand, worked for, did legal policy for IRD and ACC, everyone's favourite government departments. And um, yeah, got into got into beer. Probably I started collecting beer mugs when I was on my paper run when I was 11. I didn't drink when I was 11 obviously but uh, there was something about the culture around beer in in New Zealand and probably a bit from my old man that I was just like I really like this and you know I was fascinated. I wrote papers on alcohol at, at secondary school that got really good marks so much so that my teacher at the time wanted to keep it as a reference for his own booze Collection, um, and oh, it was just something. Always, I don't know. There was always something about it. And then, um, yeah, started home brewing. Probably, I, I went overseas and finished my law degree off in Uppsala in Sweden. Did an exchange, travelled all around Europe. Hadn't really travelled outside of Australasia before then. And then, made up for lost time by travelling twenty-something countries while I was overseas for seven months. Um, and you know, tried a lot more different beers from around around the world, and mostly around Europe. Um really what the inspiration came back for um for, for getting into beer is um a mate of mine uh probably my second year of university, you know, I was drinking jugs of Tui at the Vic Uni Hall for five bucks a pint and the East Side Pool Club at the time, if anyone knows that from Vic Uni. Um and I still didn't think it was good beer, but it was cheap, and I was 18, 19. Uh, and then a friend of mine who was actually working, and anyone who's got, you know, been to uni and has has a friend who actually has a full time job and can afford to buy any some kind of half decent beer, um, the old Malt House on Willow Street in, in Wellington, uh, got into it by drinking. Um, tasting trays of tuatara it's also because those tasting trays were incredibly cheap but you've got to if you converted how much the tastes were it's actually cheaper than buying regular pints so we were and if you work at a bar you know that pouring tasting trays is quite laborious and quite annoying so if someone just orders them the whole time it's quite annoying but we kind of tried to go to different bar staff and really kind of and, and you know drink at a cheaper rate but we tried like five or six different beers that you'd never tried before and that was kind of one of my like wow this is what beer can be kind of moments so this was before I went to Europe but around the way but um you just discovered that what beer could be and then always had an interest for it and how I got into brewing and out of law per se is that I remember the very moment that I was um working at I actually won't say if it was AC or IRD so I'm not kind of pointing at people so I saw someone who was doing the same job as me been doing it for 10 years longer and maybe they might have been earning a little bit more money or something and I just kind of like froze and goes uh, if I stay here this is what I'm going to be doing in 10 years time and that kind of scared the bejeebus out of me and uh, I was, I'd was i begun homebrewing uh, beforehand so how I got into homebrewing is my mate Paul Harrison um, who did a um, new year's resolution. Um, and said, I, I opened myself up to New Year's resolutions from the whole everyone who was at this party, and one of them was you start home brewing, and you've always wanted to. And I started, I started it a few weeks later, maybe, um, and then I had the bug from there. Um, yeah, we just I started spending all my spare time home brewing and researching and just learning about beer and learning about brewing, and and I already knew had a pretty comfortable base there, but. Um, yeah, it was. I got really into it, and then at some point, uh, well, um, I decided I wanted to quit my law job and get some brewing experience. So, quit my job and at ACC and started uh, started uh, working at falcon Brewer. Just opened up in Wellington, great place. Um, but they didn't actually start brewing for twelve months. So after nine months I left, but it, it was you know trying to. Yeah, really taking a big pay cut and just focusing on that and that's kind of where it started out a lot of things have happened since then but I was just like this is what <laughs> I want to do all in it's kind of one of those things that if you if I was like if I don't do it now we can going to do it
2: by the time you came to make the call to jump out of what I imagine was a pretty comfortably kind of paid and comfortably comfortable job at um yeah, kind of. at a government department like they're not about to go out of business um you, you know like had you had some success with your home brews or what gave you the confidence to um to to make that change?
1: I think that. I was making some pretty good homebrews and we had this really cool homebrew club in Wellington um, that we all gave each other feedback um looking back at it now I''d, I'd look back and go those beers were kind of rubbish compared to <laughs> what we what the kind of things that we like to do now but um, I realized that I wouldn't have the time to get the experience to get a lot better if I didn't just go all in um, and as uh, you know I was I was probably 26 27 at the time. Um, no serious relationship uh, I don't think so at that point in time (laughs) (laughs) and um, nothing too serious obviously Um, and you know I wasn't tied down to anything and I was like well if I wait a few years and I don't know you've got a mortgage or you've got a really a job that you really like uh, it would be really hard to leave that and at that time I was like as soon as I made the decision it wasn't a hard decision it was just like I'm doing this and, you know, it had its struggles and ups and downs, but it's, it seemed like an, a, a clear up decision for me at the time. And
2: so you, you left the law job and uh, after, you know, studying for a law degree is a really hard, long process. Yeah, it is. And then you get the law job and you do it for a while and then... The decision to jump out, I guess you can always go back and get another little job if it doesn't work out. Not now. On one level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not now. But at that moment, you know, like, did people tell you you were um, bananas? My mum,
1: mainly. It's really my mum. My dad was all right. My mum was like, are you giving up this well paying job? And, um, I, I do reminded her from time to time now and we've been a bit more successful but yeah it was a pretty good decision I made that name, mum <laughs> <laughs> but you know I did have a few people but um yeah I think I did have some people who were like oh you're young enough to you know you can go bankrupt and, and still and, and still make the most of it and I was like yeah I don't know all the negative things kind of spurred me on even more I think
2: yeah And in terms of learning how to become kind of like a a brewer that goes from, you know, the amateur league to the pro league, the homebrew to um, to, to being a brewer proper. Like there's such a community of all of these kind of um, generous spirited people that love talking about beer and love sharing it. And all the brewers seem from the outside to be a really collegial bunch. Like how do you go from being a fan to kind of um, playing in the game? It was,
1: yeah, so I was, like, a real fanboy with some people, the likes of, like, Epic and 8Wired and stuff like that. They really were very influential on me, um, and we've done work with 8Wired with and just these, these these people who, you know, I used to go to all these beer events and, you know, sometimes uh, going to beer events where brewers were generous enough to shout drinks back when I was a student, like I was talking about earlier, um, to, 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 you know, being in, in the same kind of league, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's different. I mean, we've we as I we'll probably get to this point, but we've never owned a brewery and we've always brewed with other people and um you know, it's it's a really good community in the fact that, you know, we use up tank space that they would have sitting idle otherwise and I get to, you know, create the things that I want to create. So it has been it's been a different everyone's got a different journey in brewing. i the one good thing I like about brewing is that there are people from all you know scientists and and people who have worked in the public sector and people who have come from all sorts of backgrounds just because of they've followed their passion and and do what they like to do so it is you know it's been an interesting one but you know we you know it's a good it is a good community um like any community it's like 90 something percent awesome and there's always a little bit of you know a little bit of tension between some people and yeah but it's 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 a really cool I wouldn't want to be in any other industry that's for sure
2: and how do you go from doing it so you know let's say you you're getting your first uh big tank brew after being kind of on a small scale hmm. do you do like a test run at a small scale on your like your home kit and then do you go into a big tank or what's the actual kind cuz i imagine if it doesn't quite go to plan you've got a heck of a lot of beer to to get through yes um so we i mean
1: i used to homebrew i i'm sorry i went after the the one part that I skipped um before getting into everything was I got headhunted to be uh the head of beer at iMake, which is Mangrove Jack's um the grandfather biggest homebrew wholesale company in th- this half of the world. Uh based in that brought me up from Wellington to Auckland. Um so I went round and brewed um these fresh wort packs. So wort means unfermented beer. So pretty much you send out this big thing of malt liquid. Two brewers and they pitch yeast into it and that becomes beer. Um, and did that at five or six breweries around around New Zealand, like the likes of uh, Twisted Hop, um, Halitau, Deep Creek, Eight Wired, all these guys. So kind of made some really awesome connections in there in that time. Uh, and we ended up doing our first brew at Twisted Hop down in Christchurch. And uh, yeah, it, it was you kind of go from a very small scale. So I did a lot of testing out this grandfather all grain brewing kit. So I did a lot of testing of stuff down there, um, but for the most part, I think apart from the first couple of brews, you do so many small scale brews that you know how to, what your flavour combinations are going to be for bigger brews, so we haven't done a test batch, or sorry, sometimes I joke that our test batch is 2,000 litres now, and um, some of our big big scale stuff, the stuff in our something hoppy and hopped up and pill six packs or 15,000 litre plus batches that, cause they're in supermarkets around the country and exported etc. So we definitely you know, we work hard to to make sure that we, we're not really pushing the boat out too much. If it's a pale ale we know what a good malt base is and we know what good hop good, good hop combinations and then we play around with different combinations so we know that they're going to taste good and Maybe it might be a little bit different than what we expect it to be, but it's going to be within that realm. And for the most part, it's usually me nitpicking things. And I'm usually my biggest critic about, oh, that's not quite what I wanted it to be. But, you know, most people were like, oh, that tastes fantastic. I was like, yeah, it's great, but it could be a little bit better.
2: There's that lovely expression that nature makes wine, but brewers make beer. Mm. And, uh, you know, how does it, How do, you know, for people that, that don't know about it, is it like, you know, making scones and you just, up the recipe for making more or is there like um, because of the nature of hops they may not be 100% consistent in flavour or what do you have to do once you you go from kind of um, a batch to a huge uh, container? Yeah so it's
1: every year um, hops both we use American, New Zealand, a little bit of Australian we have used some German hops but for the most part it is mainly American and New Zealand hops that we use. something called the alpha acids change pretty much every year and the alpha acids relate to the bitterness that you're going to end up with your your beer so you do have to scale up or down how much you're using our approach to making especially pale ales and IPAs, double IPAs, hazy IPAs lots of different types of IPAs um, for, for the most part is that we we put everything in the back end so the, the further towards the end of the boil you go the less bitterness you pick up but the more flavour you pick up um, so we like to add as much flavour, and we have like a set amount of bitterness that we want, and then we try and I, I think of it as a, like a you can't you can't hear on the podcast, but I'm doing air quotation marks in this a bit as we, we like an allowance of flavour um, that we can have, and without having too much bitterness in next too much bitterness depending on the beer can make it unbalanced and not as drinkable. Um, you know, we still like a lot of bitterness in a lot of our poppy beers, but. Yeah, we 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 definitely change from 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 season to season uh depending on what what the crop of hops they can be quite different from year to year so you do have to play around every year and kind of see what this year's you know hops are tasting like and and so you can have for your core beers you can keep those consistent. In terms of like
2: building the brand and the business out as well. So like everyone will know your cans because of the the character Chirley with the big underbite and the the pointy teeth. Tell me about landing on that, uh, and and having that identity running as a consistent thing across everything you've done. Yeah, so our very
1: his name's Chirley because the very first beer we did it was Chur, New Zealand Pale Ale, our signature beer, if you will. Um, I may have said that once or twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we um, we really, yeah, we, we had some quite random labels from a couple of artist friends of ours for our first few gig-only releases. Um, the first one was Celia Way Brownow, which was named after the, the mayor of Wellington, which how, one of the reasons kind of behemoth came to what it was because uh won this wellington and the pike competition and we brewed with yesty boys andrew child's and yesty boys was the celia way brown now um celia is a great lady by the way she's need to catch up with her for a pint at some point again soon and um yeah so we, before that and then we really we got cheer and then we we were talking with a designer friend it was a friend of my dad's and um yeah we we got into it um and paid them a, a case of beer and a bottle of bubbles because one of the people didn't drink beer there and um, we had uh, this character for Chur and I was like the only reason we did it is like they gave me some pictures about you know what we should do and had this one thing about he was doing he had a thumbs up going which he always does now pretty much because that's kind of his set position uh, and I was like yeah that looks like Chur like that's that's cool and then the next beer came around and I'm like what the hell are we going to do and um we wanted to do an American Ale, which is now Murica, which is you know it's one of our core as well now. and um we're like we could dress him up in some kind of like very stereotypical American thing. So he'd had kind of like, you know, the singlet uh, cowboy hat. He used to have an M sixteen, which we've changed. Um I'm glad that we have changed it. Uh now it's just a banjo, um, which we you know we think is funnier. Mm. Um and you know uh, it's you know and then we're like we can keep doing this and really have a lot of fun. So we have unlimited scope to what we can we can do with Churley, um, and he's you know he's taken on a life of his own. Like a lot of our like we've just started doing some more merch and stuff that just doesn't even say Behemoth on it anymore. It's just got a picture of Churley, and that's quite fun. And those
2: cans that have had a little bit of a political commentary, did you get mm. some blowback from that once? So we first did
1: dump the Trump. Uh, just after he got the nomination Um, and we did it because it was funny because it was like who on earth thinks that Trump is going to get elected It's a far flung joke I think they joked about it on Futurama like 10 years ago (laughs) like it was some far flung ha 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 ha." and we did this we did like three batches of it and it was very popular it was in 500ml bottles at the time and um, we and then he got elected um, and I took it rather badly I was down in Dunedin and um uh, I was doing a you know the New Beer festival and doing an event and stuff like that and um, yeah I drank a little bit of that right <laughs> I think like a lot of people around the world did uh, and you know, are you going to do it again I'm like well no it's not funny anymore <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing it because it was meant to be funny um, so we started doing impeachment sour ale and we're like okay you yeah, know this this makes a lot more sense um, so we did a five you and know, a half percent peach sour ale with Golden Queen peaches from Hawkes Bay and um, we've exported that around the world as well, we, a little bit to the United States, but to the UK and all over the place. Um, and, yeah, and then the flack really came, um, like, I don't know, a year and a half after he was in, so this it was this, this time, nearly exactly this time last year. Um, he, I was, we were just like, you know, I would have thought he would be gone by now, <laughs> like with all the crazy stuff that he's done, like one of, I don't know, one thousand two hundred and twenty three things he should have been done for. Oh, I know, isn't it remarkable? It's, it's, like this will be it. It's, like, it's like never th- it. Three times today, something It's <laughs> like if Barack Obama had done that, like mm. he would have been, you know, well, he, wore, he wore that tan suit once. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have been impeached for that tan. <laughs> no, it's it was, it's mental. So we we decided to bring it out again, and it's a very different thing when you're doing it for a sit- sitting president. We didn't. I guess we did think about it a little bit. We didn't think about like the blowback because he's president now. And so what happened is we, we bought it out. Um, it pretty much went to you know, New World's, I can say the four squares all around New Zealand before any of the blowback, like a week earlier. So it was timed really well. And somehow some Facebook group called, um, we, we found this out only much later that a Facebook a group called um, the Deplorables, which has half a million members, got hold of this Facebook page from a little brewing company in New Zealand and shared it. And hundreds of people started giving our Facebook um, one-star reviews. I mean, I don't think anyone cares about Facebook reviews. I know I don't really look at it, maybe for a restaurant or something. But we were just like, okay, um, this is nuts. And then it got, and then it uh, made it to the media, and um, t- more than. Ten about twenty times as many kiwis came back and gave us five star reviews, and then I was on breakfast TV and a bunch of radio shows and and t- newspapers and online things, and it just exploded. We I think we had one hundred and fifty thousand people look at our Facebook page in like five days. <laughs> um, it was mental. So the the funny thing is it was obviously great publicity for us, and the thing I like about it most is ex- the outcome is exactly the opposite of what the guys trying to to you know terrorize our fast Facebook page wanted, and um, yeah, it was. It was probably the craziest week of my life. It was pretty nuts. I used to people hate phone calls. I'm um, calling up the office. Um, people in my office, um, our accounts person, stuff would usually you know answer the phone, and I was just like, okay, next couple of days I'm answering all these phone calls, and I just pick it up and saying, hey, hello, and- hello, is Brewing, Andrew speaking. Is this a nice call or a bad call? <laughs> and a couple of like old racists and yeah. some really weird phone calls. But I was just like,
2: op it, op this op is surreal. I'll bet they're the people who always talk about protecting free speech as well. I'm sure they're. <laughs> uh, on to- I'm sure they're yeah, on talkback. I'm, I'm and you, and your and your free speech, can, Your your free peach. Um. <laughs> Yeah, the um, that, that, that free speech, nice. the the um, that, I'm going to take that one, and that that Im- impeachment can, um, it kind of, but it's kind of there's a warmth to those cans, uh, even the political commentary, uh, because of the pastel-y kind of colours and the the fun kind of um, animation style uh, that that mean that they're not hitting you over the head, and there's a real friendliness to the kind of the cheer range, even when you're ripping the whole head off of a Trump character and drinking that that, that <laughs> great. That great peach thing. How how important is do you think that that friendliness and that kind of um, warmth has been? I think the, our whole thing and our whole philosophy is to, to make beer fun,
1: because what's the point of beer unless it's fun? No matter what the beer is, you're drinking it for fun. You know, like socializing with friends, um, trying some new flavors that you haven't tried before, and in, in terms of more in craft beer, you know, it's it's the whole point of it. So let's make the outside. Of the beer as fun as the inside of the beer. And that's our whole philosophy. We've done a couple of um beers with really dark labels. Like we did one called Sovin Slayer, which I thought was a great beer. Nelson Sovin double IPA. Um but it was really dark, and I was like, wow, this really isn't what we do. Um and I think people picked up on that and it was like, no, we we like to have fun. We've like we've released 120 odd beers in the last nearly we turned six next month in the last nearly six years. and Yeah, we just, you know, it's meant to be fun. And, like, you know, we want someone to pick it off the shelf and then realize how good the beer is when they drink it, you know? So I think you've got to do both things.
2: Uh, When so many craft beers um, have kind of a vibe, like, Often the visual vibe is a little bit like teenager who listened to Tool and just got Photoshop, you know. Like they're all just like a little bit dark, and like just a bit too much going on, and yeah. seven layers. And some, sometimes there's that rule that like the worse the design, the better the beer. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so so yeah. Th- and then, how do you go about growing? So you go. You're now in. Um, what, what kind of like more than ten countries overseas? Eleven
1: now. I think we've just secured another two. So hopefully, in the next couple of months, we're thirteen countries. Yeah, that's so
2: cool. And how do you go about? So you've been traveling around to other um, people's breweries or brewing rooms, and yep. then and then doing um, and doing that. And and we'll we'll chat shortly about the crowdfunding to get your own your own home. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you go about kind of like, does does beer travel well? Does it turn up nicely overseas? Like, how do you do that? So we've got a really awesome
1: um, export manager, Roger. He's done a great job. He's worked in beer and wine exporting for a long time. He's our commercial director, so does a lot more of like the business-focused things at the moment and being really good in this whole crowdfunding thing at the moment as well. Um, yeah, so hoppy beer is a hard one. You have to get it over there fresh, um, like, The UK, uh, it takes a month to get beer over there uh, and then you're kind of in the hands of other people looking after it. Um, Some beers travel better than others. Sours and stouts travel better than hoppy beers. Um, Our biggest export market and the one that we're focusing on is Asia. Thailand's actually our biggest market. Not many people would suspect that Thailand's really into craft beer. Um, we were over there last year, and our distributor put on a beer festival. If you ever get a chance to go to a beer festival in Bangkok, it's really fun. Um, so, yeah, it is one of those things that you know you have to look after it and make sure that you're working with your distributors closely and making sure that, that that beer's staying as fresh as possible. We only we only work with people who cold freight things the entire way. Like if you can imagine in Southeast Asia, if you leave beer out of the chiller for even a couple of days, it could be buggered. So, we work with people who take that very seriously, and these guys distribute some of the, the you know the big breweries like Stone and Deschutes, big American breweries and stuff like that. And you know, we know that they look after all our products. And yeah, but it's something you've got to keep an eye on.
2: And let's talk about that uh, that crowdfunding to get your own home. Mm. So after growing to the size, you've got great distribution here. You've got the export going, but you haven't had your own. Home up to now, so yeah.
0: what, what are you what are you trying to
2: do? So yeah, we um, we've got
1: uh, an awesome site um, on the corner of Dominion Road and Charles Street in Mount Eden. Um, I live in Mount Eden as well, and me and my wife Hannah, um, we work really closely together in the business. And uh, we looked at sites. We pretty much we we got married two and a quarter years ago, and um, it was you're not when Hannah's like we're not allowed to start looking at your sites until we get married. So pretty much like a week after we got married, we looked at our first site. Um, and so we looked at 32 sites uh, in in 18 months. Um, we I think we um, we didn't give up, but we almost started looking outside of the area that we wanted to be in, which was pretty much Mount Eden Kingsland and around city fringe type of Auckland and started looking at places more out because it was so hard to find somewhere. And then we found this one and as soon as we saw it, we knew it was the one... Uh, and we worked really hard, and now we've got it for potentially 20 years plus to come. So we're excited to have this. Um, the space, that's about the space. So we've always wanted, we've been a contract brewer brewing at other people's facilities since our beginning. We've brewed it probably 10 in total um, in the last six years. Um, and you know, as, as we've grown and stuff, we've had to, to change and try and be flexible to, to, to make the most of the opportunities that come in front of us. And um, yeah, we're looking to bring in a lot of our production to our own place, and relatively, you know, it's a five minutes drive from the Top of Queen Streets. It's it's as central as you can be without being in the CBD. Um, so we want to be brewing all of our fun things, our hazy IPAs, our sours, and and, and all that kind of fun stuff in our own space. Um, also, you know, I'm married to a chef and butcher and we're looking forward to having a place where you can experience beer and food matching, uh, you know, nose to tail dining, um, you know, cured meats. Um, yeah, my wife owns a lady butcher who does cured meats. You can find at Farrow and Top End restaurants around uh, Auckland and New Zealand. And, and combining those two things to an experience that there's not anything really like that in New Zealand and we really want to kind of bring that you know, especially to Auckland as well, which you know, I'm from Wellington and Wellington's got a great beer
2: scene and Auckland's getting really good and we just want to help it get better. Yeah, there there is a great beer scene around Auckland, isn't it? But it's quite widely distributed. You've exactly. got to go you've it's got to like travel, everything in Auckland, eh? You've got, you got to travel like great distances out to Hellitow and Liberty and then like it's quite cool that there's now this kind of congregation happening in the area where where you're landing. And so you'll be just for people who know Auckland, well, you'll be kind of like by where Silver Bell, the supermarket is. Is that, is that kind of right? Like on the Dominion Road extension near where, um, where, where it turns into, where where, around the corner from Eden Noodles. Yeah, that's, Eden
1: Noodles is like the benchmark. Uh, wherever there's a line outside people getting noodles, we're just down the road from that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, wherever, wherever there's the, you know, that big, Chinese supermarket, which go there, you know, on Fridays, bargains there. Yeah, Bell's uh, out of control. Yeah, it's it's nuts, and uh, yeah, Target finishes right there. Um, but yeah, in terms of the beer scene, where uh, the beer mile, it's actually I think it's kicking off this Saturday. I'm not going to be in town, unfortunately, um, and it's kind of starting. Uh, Galbraith's. Um, uh, there is Save Ferris, which is now a really cool. Um, uh, arcade craft beer venue downstairs is Beer Jerk Bunker which if you're a beer geek like they've got like this ridiculous cellar of crazy beers that if you want to geek out it's a great place to go and there's about 15 minute walk down to us um, which sounds like a long walk for a lot of people in Auckland to be fair but it's not very it's very much downhill coming down there and then we've got uh, Garage Projects Tasting Room about four minutes walk from us keep walking down you've got um, Flight six hundred five, and I think Bear Spot's opening up there, not too far away, and then our mates at Urbanort down there. So that is really the Bear Mile. It's um, so they're starting the Bear Mile, and we're you know we we're looking forward to being
2: uh, a big part of that. And tell me about the, the so so you'll you'll be. Uh bit different out of those and having your own 140 person restaurant Mm. and butchery on site like that's quite a lot to happen all at once isn't it like to to make a restaurant and and of that size plus all of the brewing and the nose to tail um idea where depending on what day you arrive that's where you're up to in the animal that's where the menus gonna change to
1: yeah well, it's just makes it's just this whole total utilisation. That's a thing that um, Hannah works incredibly close. She only works directly with farmers, free free range farmers, from uh, right from Invercargill for Leland's lamb to to um, to places like Ho'Hora and stuff like that. Getting getting their her pork or pigs, free range pigs who have their own beach, and like you know it's you know really good stuff. Um, but we, we we're planning on having like um, your core like. Uh, burgers sausages all the stuff that you can make from those animals and like the staple, half a dozen staple things so you, you know you can always come in and get it but then yeah. at the same time just like the beer which will be constantly rotating you'll have different menu items that we're changing daily um you know uh, a cow only has so many steaks and so we might only do like a steak night to come on a tuesday get it you know and get steaks or, you know that kind of thing so really we can make sure that we're using all of it like nothing goes to waste um and you know everything that's edible, obviously. Um, Eyeball Tuesday, yeah. Hoof it's yeah, the hoofs and the eyeballs, you know, like sausages. The, yeah, not 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 going to be the the mainstays in the sausage. Maybe for the Halloween party, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you yeah, know, really, uh, there's a lot of waste in the food industry, and it's pretty terrible. Um, and so keep, keeping that down, and then also being able to make something fun that other people don't have and a lot of the the cured meat that we do like if you don't use it we can cure it we can have a thousand kg drying um, curing fridge so we can you know lots of lots of weird and you know beautiful cured meats that like my wife you know specializes in uh, it's going to be really fun and yeah we're, doing, we're looking at cool things like using the same spices in a piece of cured meat say in a salami that we use in a beer and we can launch them on the same day and do like exclusive you know food and beer pairings and stuff like that and it's it's something something that she's been doing for a long time and we've been doing beer and food events we, i'm down in Blenheim doing a beer and meat event this weekend and we've done many many of them we, we we did one yesterday actually um it's yeah so it's it's really a thing like you know a lot of places around the world beer and food matching is just an everyday occurrence and i think you know it's starting to get there in new zealand but it's we've still got a long way to go and, and
2: we're looking forward to pushing that yeah, it's so cool just to go sideways from um, the the crowdfunding that we'll jump to because people can get involved and uh, yeah, become totally. part owners of this new um, brewery and restaurant situation. But it's so cool this flowering again of beer because I'm sure as you would have experienced when you travelled through all of those countries across uh, Europe, for, for so many... Um, you know, for for so many centuries, uh, beer was this exciting thing that people made at home with whatever um, fruits or or grasses or flowers or botanicals or whatever happened to be to hand, and they were full of um, you know m- m- you know full of flavor and variety and 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 seasonal. And then for about fifty years, the world just became this bland. There's like four four percent things that all say that they're all kinds of things, but they're just kind of lagers. <laughs> and then, and now the world's... Well, from White or Canterbury or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yep. and, and now the world's just o- opening back up again to kind of that infinite variety. Yeah, I think it's really great. Like, in New Zealand, we definitely punch above our weight,
1: um, as we do with a lot of things. But with beer especially, um, like, we're still ahead of Australia. Um, you know, we win nearly anything per head of population, but <laughs> that's, that's what we do. But we, yeah, America's gone from... In the last two years, it's gone from 5,000 breweries to 7,000 breweries in two years, and that's kind of crazy. We're at about 200. Uh, I think it's just like the course of everything. New Zealand used to be all about cask wine Um, back in the day. I know that I didn't see a bottle of wine at my parents' house that, you know, it was casks only while I was a kid, and and now that's not as much of a thing. And I think craft beer is moving in that same way. Same with anything that's food and beverage, you know, like instant coffee was that's it was everything back then and uh, whenever i go to a hotel and there's only instant coffee i'm very annoyed um it's, but i think you know fl- it's fl- it's all about flavor and it's about quality over quantity uh you know occasionally it's quality and quantity depending on on the situation but it is really just about life's too short to to, to eat and drink things that aren't they don't resonate with you and i think that's what people want they want something that's tastes delicious and 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 really um you know is a point of difference and you know goes well with a meal is a conversation starter and all those things and I think it's yeah it's just part of like the food and beverage
2: movement and um is yeah, playing its part in that yeah, and it's such an exciting time when there's so many exciting new things to try all the time and yeah so back to the 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 brewery situation so you're going to have obviously your own brewing you're going to have 20-something guest taps on site as well? So oh, 10, 20-something of our own our own beers,
1: but we are going to have, we're planning on having a permanent collaboration tap. Mm. Um, so we we brew with someone both you know, either domestically or of mates from overseas, and then we showcase a couple of their beers at the same time and, and, and include some of their beers in. Um, in the fridge just so we can kind of showcase friends one at a time like you know it's a really cool industry and and I don't want it to be 100% about us we really want the craft beer industry to, to, to grow as a whole and being a contract brewer we have been guests of so many people and for for six years and we really want to give back to the community that's that's helped us so much yeah so we and yeah 20 something of our own yes, we're going to have a 3,000 litre kit um double fermented, to 6,000 litres more of the stuff that you'll you'll find around supermarkets and liquor stores and bars around New Zealand and then we're going to have a 600 litre kit which will be these really cool, fun, one-off beers that you will probably just find at our place and maybe at a, at a festival or something like that and really let us, you
2: know, flex our creative muscles. And so how can people uh, get involved through the um, the Pledge to Be Equity crowdfunding you're doing and why, why equity crowdfunding? Like... Um, how much of the company are you looking to give away? And, yeah, like, what's the benefit for you in getting um, your customers involved? I think it's a
1: really big thing. It's like, you know, we 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 now have a, a really cool following, which is still really cool. It's still kind of mind-boggling it's how many people drink beers. Like, I used to get the same buzz of um, sharing my homebrew that I do now with people, you know, drinking my beer at the pub or buying it at a supermarket or something like that. Um, really, um, we... You know, we've got like a, we need quite a bit of capital to get everything up and running. And we thought, well, if we can do this and we can get our fans involved at the same time and bring people along with the ride, we really want to just expand the family and really get people involved with what we're doing. Um, yeah, it's having, it, and people having a piece of the pie. And I think when, you know, people have got something invested in it and they can share in our successes, like the more people, you know, when you share something with a loved one, it feels better. But if you can share something with a massive group of people, Like when people go to stadiums, you know, it's so much more visceral if you can, everyone can experience this. Um, So, yeah, we really just want people to 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 share in our successes and and be part of it. Um, And also, you know, um, it's not just the pub. So people are uh, investing in Behemoth as a whole, like whether it's us at our pub or if it's us selling to um, uh, Henry's Central City Dunedin. Um, or something like that you know like we or us exporting to you know to China or anywhere it's really just want people to be uh, involved with what we're doing Um, and yeah it's 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 exciting we've we me and my wife just did a roadshow around New Zealand Um, we went to Christchurch Wellington Tauranga and Auckland four days in a row um, Thursday to Sunday last last week and um, yeah end of end of May for people who are listening to this later uh, 2019 <laughs> <laughs> so um we yeah we uh, and uh, it was so great to have um, heaps of people just come uh, come along and ask us the questions ask us hard questions um, and and they did the first one was uh, the question was what happens if you drop dead uh, the first one of the all four days so and uh, you know it was really it was really good to just to chat with people and, and see how people excited people were to, to, to be a part of it so yeah
2: we're, we're excited for it yeah, and that's um, you, you know a hard question, but also it's not a, a job without danger, is it? I mean, you had a, a terrible accident that you came back from pretty early on in brewing. Yeah, it was it's
1: three and a half years ago now.
2: Um, yeah, it was a,
1: something that kind of, you know still haunts um, haunts us who were involved in it. Um, but you know, burnt forty percent of our body, but we've just really you know, it was a, a horrible brewing accident. But you know, I think uh, New Zealand and the world kind of learnt a little bit about safety and brewing um, from that, and um, it's just made me and 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 my buddy who was involved um, more resolute in what we're doing. Um, And you know, it's like this is not going to stop us. And um, and now both of us are you know some of the most highest awarded um, brewing companies in New Zealand, and and we're just spending every day um trying to do what we do best and, and bring good beer to people and that's kind of reinforced the belief in what we're doing, I guess.
2: Yeah, and I mean it hasn't had uh it, it's had its <laughs> like that, that, that was a very hard thing to come back from, mm. I'll bet. But yeah, it looks like it's been um yeah, like like a lot of success, but I imagine a lot of work. Like if you're making forty brews a year and doing all of the kind of things that it takes to run a company and doing the press and doing the planning for the, uh, the the brewery and then doing all of the work that you have to do for compliance. Like, it must be a real slog. It's, I
1: don't know, 80-hour-plus weeks for six years. Um, and I started as a one-man band. We've got nine of us and a couple of casuals now, and everyone works incredibly hard for all the same purpose. And, yeah, it's—my <laughs> wife showed me his Facebook posts, um, and there's this thing of, like— under the surface and above the surface above the surface it's metals and you know being able to travel and drink some fun beers and stuff like that everything that you don't see stuff that's not worthy of going on facebook is pressure and stress and all those things and that's just part of being an entrepreneur and 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 everyone focuses on the really cool things and like you know andrew so lucky blah blah, blah. But, and and i am incredibly lucky um the harder i work the luckier i get and uh but it should never anything like this or any business that you're taking like unless you're 120% with it um you shouldn't do it it's cuz it is a lifestyle i I've, I've definitely made sacrifices i don't really have any hobbies anymore apart from you know i really like beer still which is good um but i you know this you have to make all these sacrifices and it's not all smiles and sunshine that's that's for sure but um is it worth it yes but uh are there hard and difficult things along the way? Absolutely. It's not, you know, if someone, mates of mine, see my Facebook page, I'm not posting up saying I'm doing compliance work or whatever at 11.30 at night or I haven't had a weekend for a couple of months or a few months or whatever or yes, I, I I'm in Hong Kong this week but I'm waking up at 6am to do paperwork so I can get six, eight hours worth of paperwork out before I can go in and do some work which is going to visit customers and doing events and stuff like that. So it is, it's a lot of work but... um yeah it's 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 a it's a lifestyle i guess
2: what advice would you have to someone who's sitting there in a comfortable job with a dream burning away if you want it badly enough
1: and you know if you think about it and go okay this is this can actually this can actually happen do it and uh, i I wouldn't want to die wondering um but it will be hard. Uh, you know, I didn't pay myself for years and lived off credit cards and and all that kind of stuff. Should probably pay off that credit card. Fair. Um, <laughs> and um, it is it's incredibly hard. But if you want to do something, and New Zealand's, f- I mean, I've met one of these things that I meet all these great entrepreneurs now that I never thought I'd be kind of meeting before, and it was and. I mean, everyone kind of has, has no one's done it the same way, but everyone's got the same thing in common, is that they just, they've taken, they've run with it and and really just, you know, all-encompassingly do what they do. Um, but being an entrepreneur is definitely not for everyone. It is, there are some, I do know some people who have gone back and started working for other people, not, not a huge amount, um, because it's a certain type of lifestyle and you have to be a certain type of person to really, take things you know and run with it and you know but if you can do it you can do it imagine new zealand without entrepreneurs it would be a boring place and i guess it would probably be all people from
2: overseas who've just come over and did it instead so <laughs> it's yeah. You know and, and one last question that we ask everyone is like how how will you and how do you define success like what's your what's your goals yeah that's an interesting
1: one um i'm one of those people that you know, if I had a job as Prime Minister of New Zealand, which would never want to do that, um, I don't know. Would be want to see if I could have a job at the UN. I guess like Helen Clark, I guess um, maybe something. I don't know. I'm always looking for the next thing, but at some point, it would be nice to to relax and um, look over what we've done. But that time is a long time away. So defining, I don't know. I think defining success is only, and you can only do it. After things have happened, because I don't think there's such thing as success in everything in life because if you've succeeded everything, what's the point at living, and you might as well keel over because there's nothing left to do um unless your success after that is just you know hanging on a new couch and and watching Netflix in
2: which case that sounds like some pretty nice success <laughs> Awesome. well, thank you for coming and sharing your story today that's andrew child's uh the founder and uh c e o you call yourself a CEO. Is that what you do with breweries? I am not. No. I think
1: it's somewhere. I, I, managing director. I put, yeah. I put managing director um, coming through customs just in case they don't check my luggage for beer or hops or anything <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. I hope no
2: one at customs listens to this. The, but, the, 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 the guy who is responsible for all the problems and all the good things at uh, Behemoth. That's a good way code. to describe it, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in getting involved, uh, there are um, investment statements you'll be able to access on PledgeMe to find out all of the potential benefits and risks of getting involved in a crowdfunding venture owning a part of a um, brewing uh, company uh, and yeah thank you very much for coming and uh, sh- sharing your story today. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing and thank you very much for listening.
0: You've been listening to Business is Boring presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by
1: the spin-off. And Callahan Innovation.
0: From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz.